0: On this episode of Quantum Week, June 17th through 23rd, 1984. Quantum week. Quantum week! Welcome to Quantum Week, I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about the movies, the music, the headlines, everything that makes that time period unique. And today we are on june twenty seventh no no june seventeenth through twenty third nineteen eighty four
1: in fact, we're going to be nineteen eighty four for
0: two straight weeks yeah, so there's like six shows six including shows the YouTube's. of
1: including the YouTubes of nineteen eighty four uh and I'm not every movie we're talking about, and I think every song we're talking about is is legit iconic
0: oh yeah, and a lot of fun uh this is this is like a reprieve for us yes. after weeks of kind of Less than ideal circumstances with songs and movies. Some were okay, but we had a lot of shit in there too.
1: Yeah, and uh, you probably would have already seen the YouTube show um, where we talked about uh, Indiana Jones and uh, the Temple of Doom.
0: And we're not going to talk about the song. Can oh we, yeah, we can tell the song now because it's after the fact. Because right. we're traveling through time. That's right. That's right. Uh, but it would have been Doves Cry by uh, when the Doves Cry by by Prince. And it's not the first time, not the last time we'll see Prince over the next probably weeks not. either. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um. So yeah. So for uh for today's episode though, we are talking about might be my favorite movie on um this is i'll say it right now this is my favorite movie we've covered so far uh, yeah me too in fact we have to have an award now for this movie because
0: because we have the akiva which is the worst right now so. i, w- I want
1: to have the ackroyd for uh the ackroyd. he he's in <laughs> ghost and blank but the movie we're talking about this week though is ghostbusters Ghostbusters, right uh not did not like my ackroyd idea he made a face like <laughs> <I> farted <laughs> like oh god um ghostbusters is uh One of the greatest comedies I've ever seen. And in fact, what we're going to do later on in the show is Matt and I are going to reveal our top five comedies.
0: Yes. Um, You're going to laugh at mine probably, but that's okay. That's what we do here. That's right.
1: Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, I will say off the bat, I'm not going to say where it ranks yet, but this is in my top five. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so we both have our top five Yeah, of course. So this is a movie, obviously, Matt and I both love immensely. Um, It is fantastic. It is funny. It is sharp. It is creative. It's has and it has a great rewatchability. Yeah, like there's little things you'll notice more and more. <laughs> um, You want to give a quick. If, if, oh, a yeah. Very quick yeah, yeah. 15 seconds. Yeah. If anyone hasn't
0: seen so, Ghostbusters. I mean, come on. Go fucking see it. Go pause, it. pause, yes. pause the episode. Yeah. Go watch Ghostbusters. Now you will think. Yeah, us.
1: Uh, yeah, please. Because we are going to do spoilers. So if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, it is the greatest. If you're like, maybe you're, you're a little bit younger. Right. Said, yeah. In yeah. Your 20s. Maybe, you know, came out in 84. You're like, yeah. oh, I haven't seen it. Go watch go it. Go fucking it's watch really this. It's really funny. Yeah. It's not any streaming services, but you can get it on Amazon for like three or four bucks. Three bucks. You or it on, uh, four bucks. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. go, please go watch it right now.
0: But okay. So it is a team of scientists who investigate the paranormal. Uh, they get fired by the university they work with work for. I think it's Columbia actually in New York. Um, and they finally get a break and they encounter a ghost at a, at the New York public library. Uh, and they believe this is only the be- the beginning. There's paranormal act paranormal activity is going to start really inundating New York City. So they go into business for themselves, busting ghosts. Um, they fight the EPA. They fight uh, Gozer the Gozerian. They fight the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man uh, with their comedy and their proton packs. That's right. Oh, very good. oh you're, are you starting to like write these out now? I did write it out. Oh, a little you're bit. so corny. <laughs> um,
1: you could just take like, a read off the back of the fucking DVD box. Uh, what? I, I don't guess. think the DVD said no, anything like no, this. No, I'm they? saying you could if you I wanted could. to be. But no, I don't want to. You're it. a hard worker. Yeah. Um, this is fantastic. This is uh, so Bill. Bill Murray. Uh, is the star of the movie, yep. but he's not the creative force behind the movie. Right. Which is interesting. Uh, this is really Dan Aykroyd's baby. Um, Aykroyd wrote this movie with the idea of be him and Belushi, uh, and, and then as he was, I guess I didn't know this, I forgot, or I forgot about it, but as he was writing lines for Belushi, is when he got the call that
0: Bushi was dead. Right, 82 is when this happened. Yep. yep. And the, the plot was a bit different too. Aykroyd didn't yes. think of it this way. They thought about it like, Two buddies traveling through time. Well, I mean... Sort of uh, fighting ghost inspectors and ghouls and things. There's a lot of elements here. First off, Dan Aykroyd was... Uh, I think there was some heavy drug use going on. Well, and his parents and, like, grandparents had a long line of b- believing in the paranormal. I think his granddad wrote a book about yeah. it, actually. You're right. Right, and that's fine. Ghost
1: stories are fine. I don't mean that, but um, the script sounded, like, not plausible. Out there, yeah. yeah like, no exactly. one can make. Like, he was a younger guy. I think he... I don't even know if he was 30 yet, but he was a younger guy. He, maybe he was, but, you, you know, and he was just... I don't think he had any real idea. Like I think he was just like writing shit down. Yeah, and then finally, uh, luckily, uh, I think it was Harold Ramis, uh, Ramis, who sat him down and was like, "All right, let's."
0: No, let's, it was Reitman. Reitman oh, was said, "Listen, okay, first okay. of all, this is not technically feasible to do what you right. want to do. Let's set it in New York and talk to talk to my man Ramis. He'll help you get this story straight." And so then they sat together yeah, think, for yeah, yeah, they, weeks. They,
1: they, yeah, and they and they came out with what we what, what we, we now know. Right. right. As, as, uh, as thank posters. God for Ramis. Right, uh, Reitman. And Ramis, and Ramis, right? They're both, all of them, the yeah. three of them. This is really their, yeah, they creative baby. In fact, uh, oh Christ, I forget the name of the movie. But Bill Murray was was actually in Europe shooting a different movie um it's like the knife's edge or I, i'm probably getting that wrong but it's a movie that failed miserably it was a drama it was he, the razor's edge The razor's edge okay. yes and it was a it was a a, a very ill-received drama <laughs> do you know that reitman funded that one too i think they did it to well, they, he did right to
0: get yeah to get, to get, get uh because yeah,
1: that shoot went tr- incredibly long that's like a famously bad movie
0: is i've never seen yeah
1: it. i've never I haven't seen either um so yeah so ramus kind of bailed out that movie so they could Basically, get production t- finished, so you get him, get Murray <laughs> right. back to America to make this movie. And there were some concerns Murray hadn't even read the script, which, of course, he had. Murray's a famous, like, famously, like, will pretend he's a, you know, lazy guy. He's an incredibly hard worker. Of course. And um, so he, he the the but the movie really is, though, once the movie starts, it was really Bill Murray's is, show. He has all the best
0: lines. I don't know that he's ever been better. I've liked him in some more serious films that are still kind of comedic, but... I don't know that he's ever been better than this film. I have an example of how
1: he's better in my uh, top comics. Okay, cool. We'll get into that later. But I would agree, though, this is among the He's so good. He's so good. Um, And then then you have this amazing supporting cast. Yeah, it's a great cast. Sigourney Weaver, who is a big star then. You know, she had done Alien. She had done, I think, The Year of Moving Dangerously. Nothing
0: comedic, though. This was, like, really her first foray there, and she's great. She's amazing. Yeah,
1: Uh, And then, uh, so we have to talk about Rick Moranis for a second. Because this is unbelievable. So when I... when when I watch the movies now, I'm almost like watching him. Yes. Because he he just never failed. I'm in stitches the whole time. And a great example of this, uh, if you're young and don't know Rick Moranis, he was a Canadian uh, kind of on SCTV, which is like Canadian SNL. And then he, he started doing movies. He, and then he kind of just left show business very early in the early His 90s. wife died and he his wanted to take care of his kids. His wife was sick and died yeah. and then he wanted to take care of his kids.
0: So, but he did like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies. Maybe that would be his most famous. Boys, movies, he's famous. Yeah, yeah, he's still
1: getting rolled. But it, this is his funniest. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one moment in this movie where um, Peck, the EPA guy, <laughs> right. is downstairs and they're about, they're about to shut off uh, this containment unit. And Bill Murray is arguing with Peck, and they're going back and forth over um, whether they should shut it down or not. Yeah. And Rick Moranis is next. Already possessed. Rick, Rick Moranis, Moranis is, is possessed, right, by these demons. And uh, maybe it's Ackroyd is pointing at um, Peck, and he's, like, trying to yell at him. And yeah. Moranis is also pointing <laughs> yes. at Peck. And then when Peck is yelling and pointing at Ackroyd, he turns. Moranis <laughs> points at Ackroyd. Yeah. Like he, but he, it was just, you can tell it's completely, like, improv. Like, that was all Moranis. He's so great in that scene uh, when they uh, when they walk when he's having the party and he gives that incredibly long monologue about about his uh
0: like uh, his one of the his customers, his, his clients, his clients. and He's, he's like, like giving them all the backstory yeah. of the clients about like how I don't know. I can't remember the whole thing. And it's so w- funny. It
1: ends with well, they got it 8 percent. So they're good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then but I guess that entire monologue was completely <laughs> improvised by Moranis.
0: Yeah. Which is like
1: that just shows you like this guy is so funny, but it was supposed to be John Candy.
0: I I saw that, but John Candy didn't get it. He didn't and understand the character. I don't understand
1: that. John Candy couldn't. He didn't understand the role and passed on it. And uh, Moranis got the script in like an hour later. Agreed like, to this. do it. Yeah. Uh, but what? Uh, what is hard to understand? He's an accountant who gets possessed. What, what, I'm missing why it's hard to understand that.
0: I don't know. He's sort of Aspergery too. I think, and uh, and and slightly neurotic. I, maybe I don't know what part of I think it he he's didn't. Just like
1: an intense, like accountant. I, I just don't see why it's that hard to understand. That to me, I, I, like John Candy's a really bright guy.
0: I don't think Candy would have done a good job, though. That's I the don't thing. Think so.
1: Then Candy needs a bit more heart and soul. Yes. Where Moranis doesn't, I don't maybe need that as much. Um, but that is, to me, is like so bizarre. I, I'm glad, obviously, I think Moranis at this point is the second funniest part of the movie. So I'm glad he got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: he gets locked out he every He also time argues with apartment. a horse in this movie. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <This> is
1: funny? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that whole scene to me is great. Even the guy who plays the... Uh, the guy that, like uh, the driver, of the horse. Yeah. When he, when ran series, he goes, what an asshole. <laughs> that line reading never fails to make me laugh. I've seen it. No, how many times have seen it 150 times. Probably. I always
0: laugh. I was wondering, actually, is this the most, I've, this might be this movie I've seen the most, this in <laughs> temple of doom. Actually I've seen maybe no, the most of my life.
1: Not me. I think number one for me is back to the future. Oh, okay. And number two, probably uh. the 89 version of Batman.
0: Yeah, I think I've probably seen this more than anything. This
1: is in my top ten, I'm sure, of yeah. things I've
0: seen. Um, still makes me laugh. every time. I've it still watched. makes me laugh because there's so much depth. It's not just like a joke. It's no. like there's stuff going on in the background. Every scene is funny. There's something funny in every scene. These characters are
1: so well defined.
0: Yeah. Um. Even Egon, like his line readings I are love it. great. He's, well, yeah. he's you know, a genius, yeah. but,
1: um, but those line readings are phenomenal. Like, you know. Um, Print is dead. Prince is dead (laughs) this lady this girl's obviously hitting on him and and he has no idea (laughs) and and it's just but it's not a nerd you've ever seen before it's not like "Mm," you know like this weird like Big Bang Theory stereotypical nerd he's a completely unique character but yet someone you can kind of understand it's a brilliant job by him and it's really understated
0: um, and the whole way until the end when he breaks and screams your mother and goes after Peck.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really, it's really good. It's a re- Peck of William Atherton. He's so great as a villain. He plays it exactly as you should, like completely serious. Don't because yep. that you are not them. You're not. This isn't a winky wink thing. You no. should be. Um, and, and he is. He plays it. And he's, he's great in Die Hard as well. He's, yeah. He's always like an asshole kind of character. Yep. And he plays it perfectly.
0: Right. So we said earlier, he plays the director of the EPA in New York or whatever. And he, and he shuts, basically shuts down the, the Ghostbusters containment system. A- releasing a- all, releasing all, all the ghosts into the world and bringing on, uh, you know, Dozer the Doz or goes of the Gozerian and whatever chaos. That's him. <laughs>
1: there, there is
0: no Dana. There's always. There's no, like, right. I mean, there's so many Four feet above the covers. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I know so many lines. I know from this fucking film. Tell him about the Twinkie. you earned it
1: there's so many things i'm not a huge movie quote guy i think it can be a little bit uh, like all right you're kind of stealing someone's joke when you're doing that i for some i have this weird thing like you know also like like remember austin powers like people just yeah it became like so much right but on the same token of ghostbusters you almost can't help but do it in some way it's (laughs) because their lines are so good and the movie is so fun i think when you're doing live readings like that or when you're uh, kind of doing movie quotes you just want to be part of the fun and this movie is so fun. So fun. Like, you just want... You want to be a Ghostbuster. Which leads me to maybe a controversial take here. I'm oh, yeah. I'm curious in your point. Yeah, sure. So, I don't think Winston should be in this movie.
0: Yeah, he... It sounds like he his part was... He had a greater... He had a greater role. But yeah. then it was kind of pared down towards the end to give Bill Murray more lines. I don't... I don't know this why, is, but... This is very controversial. So,
1: I guess when Ernie Hudson agreed... They, I guess there's some rumors, although it's not really substantiated, that Eddie Murphy... Was in talks. Yeah, but I don't. I don't would believe not have, that. But maybe I. But he Ackroyd, was huge. Then. Ackroyd Here's, and Murphy were in a movie together before that, though. They we're trading places. Oh, that's right. So maybe there is some truth to it. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they. Ernie Hudson was willing to take a pay cut to be in this movie because he thought he just could make him become a star. Yeah. Um. So he takes a pay cut, and then when he gets to the set, they give him a new script that had, in theory, like half of his lines taken out. Yep. Uh, and I guess it was some bad blood. I know he was, for a long time, was holding out of doing Ghostbusters too until he got a certain amount of lines. I guess it was some really, interesting, really bad blood there uh, with that. And I, I don't know if, you know, he, had, he was the happiest guy on set. I just don't think the part's necessary.
0: No, it wasn't. There's it no point. To and it's it. not like he was bad either. There's a the good scene where he's driving in the car with uh, no. Dan Aykroyd. It's really not, it was like, that's, He's a nice little heart. Ernie Hudson's scene. a good actor. Yeah, he is. I have, there's yeah. nothing against Ernie no, Hudson. No, it's, at it's all. just I don't understand the character. I don't know either. why the character is there. Yeah, why? Because you got this. You have the the you know you've you've got the geek straight guy. Um, uh, character, you've got the sort of the heart character with Dan Aykroyd, and you've got the goofy, not serious guy with Bill Murray. So I don't know what what role Hudson fulfills in this. What is he? He's kind of the everyman, I guess, the outsider who comes
1: in. I think so, but it, unfortunately, the character was so ill, def- you know, not well defined. This yeah, is like the one character is not well defined. It, it doesn't. So they, I saw a cool thing about uh, Wizard of Oz comparison. Oh, right. Where Bill Murray is like the scarecrow. Right. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is the tin man when he's at the heart. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Egon is. Uh, is the. Uh, no, wait, way, Egon's maybe the scarecrow. He's, he's Egon's the brains, scarecrow. Right, right. But, uh, but Bill Murray has the courage. Right, he's the lion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, that, that, I can see is, that. Which is interesting. That's good for three. But it, but, but
1: it is like, you can see that three, though, kind of makes sense. Even Wizard of Oz or Ghostbusters kind of makes sense. Having that fourth it'd almost be like a munchkin was tagging along with the Wizard of Oz yeah. guys. like, what the fuck is this munchkin Wizards- doing here? He just like, just Go away. Like, <laughs> and like nothing, and said, like nothing has Ernie Hudson and, and I can, part of the reason I can see why he's pissed off, maybe the original script had a more defined character. Probably. And now you're like, what the fuck are you relegating me to?
0: Bill Murray takes up so much space in this film that oh, it's does. hard to fit you know, it would be it's hard to fit a fourth. Like, the other, you know, the other two it's are It's hard great. to fit Ackroyd. It is. Yeah, he sort of gets, um, yeah, lost a little bit in the film. And
1: you can see, I think it only works because Ackroyd and Murray worked together for three and a half years right. on SNL. Yeah. And you can see, because of that, maybe that bond, Ackroyd could take a backseat. Because Ackroyd does not want to take a backseat typically to anyone anyway. Yeah. But in this case, maybe because he knew and respected Murray so much, maybe also because he helped write the script. Probably. He could be like, all right. I can take a step back. Bill Murray is a bigger star at this point in our careers. I can let him just kind of run with it.
0: Um, that makes that makes complete sense. I think uh, another
1: interesting piece of trivia on this movie. Yeah, that a lot of people don't know if to talk about. I'm trying, Matt. You know, this is a movie that Matt and I grew up with. If you're around our age, you've you know it's been talked to death. I don't want to kind of regurgitate old <laughs> right. trivia, but this is one that I don't think people talk about a lot. So if you're in the party scene with Rick Moranis, yeah, that tall blonde woman, yeah. Um, so that's Casey Kasem's wife. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> That's right. So a, f- that- a few years ago, Casey Kasem was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. That's what Robin Williams had. And it's a it's very serious disease. And- Been in
0: my wife's family, actually.
1: It's, it's, it's a yeah. if By yeah. all accounts, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, his brain was really deteriorating. And I guess there was some sort of fight that he she had with Casey's uh, children and Casey's brother. And they wouldn't let the kids and the brother see Casey. Really? And then she kidnapped Casey in a way. She moved him to an undisclosed location and Casey's daughter tried to get an injunction It went back and forth and then a month before he died, uh, the wife actually lost, she, she did not, she wasn't allowed to um, be his caretaker or be his, I forget what the legal term is, but, uh, Power of Attorney or yeah, something. Yeah, and it ended up going back to the daughter, going to the daughter and so for the last month of his life, Casey was with the daughter and then she, he died and then I guess part of this agreement maybe or, the casey's body then went to the widow uh but it's a huge fight uh between the two families which is interesting so whenever i see her now i think of like you oh like, of you're the one that tried to hide she moved casey's body all the way to like oregon and said he wasn't in the country really she was doing all this weird lying maybe she was having a real hard time with the grief i don't know i mean they were married for a long time yeah um it didn't appear to be some sort of money angle maybe it was i don't know uh but it was just interesting to li- like to see whenever i see her now i think of like oh you think of that you're the one that like was driving Casey Kasem in, like, some car, you know, to Oregon just to get Hiding away from him. his family.
0: Yeah. Strange. Shaggy-Doo or whatever. No, who right. he was yeah, was, was He, Shaggy? he was Shaggy. Wasn't he Scooby and Scrappy? He might have been bo- or both. Scra- yeah, I think he, he might have been both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what uh, Casey's daughter said. <laughs> maybe like, where's dad roll, roll. the other thing did you did you know did you uh, I read some stuff about the librarian I was also looking for some things that yeah. maybe not everybody knew but did you know that Lebra, uh, the so the Lebra, uh, librarian character in the beginning of the film she's the one who originally gets scared by the ghost and they call the ghost was she feet. menstruating she was no. not that's a great line that's too. such a funny,
1: that's <laughs> so, so funny. That's so
0: funny. But her name, her name is uh, Ruth Hale Oliver. She's actually uh she was an astrologer. So she was Oh. she was like a dealer in the occult, which okay. was very interesting. But her daughter uh was Susan. Um Susan Oliver who was uh she was in the pilot episode of Star Trek, The Cage. Do oh. you do you know that one? It's a really it's a really funky one. Uh it's Kirk is with Pike? Yep, Pike is that that's right. right. Uh, and the cage is like, uh, it's, she is like, she's the kind of the main female character in, okay. uh, in, in this film too. Huh.
1: Okay. Susan. Susan.
0: Yeah. Huh. What else? Oh, I didn't realize. So this was a very expensive film for effects and I didn't, it's not an, it's, it's funny because until now I didn't even really think of this as like an effects filled movie, right. even though I should have, but now, but there were, t- but in terms of like comedies, you never see this type of effect, but all the ghosts that well, the had to be done, for, the it, building stuff happening. This was kind of a mess. Yeah. With the effects. So what
1: happened was ILM is the go-to at that point, 1984. Industrial Light and Magic. Right. right. That was Star the Star Wars, all that. But they had already been basically contracted to do uh, Temple of Doom right. and Return the Jedi. So they said they passed on the project, but one of the guys from ILM was starting his own thing. Edlund is his yes. name. Yes. Uh, William Uh, Edlund? It's
0: Richard Edlund. Richard, okay, okay, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: And so he did it, but some of the effects, some are good, some are not in this.
0: It's hard to know. Like, I wonder what it would have looked like to us, you know, with fresh eyes, a six-year-old or whatever. I remember. I mean,
1: I can go back. I don't remember ever having major problems with it. Me neither. Now it looks a little clunky. I read some of the reviews at the time and they said some the effects were kind of clunky at times.
0: Yeah. So uh the ghosts I thought looked good. Like Slimer looked good, and um, the librarian. The librarian good, looked
1: good. But then like the dogs running through the park looks yeah terrible. not good.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Slimer cost three hundred thousand dollars though. Do you see that? Well, it was supposed to be bullshit. It, it was it's right. It's model after Belushi. It
1: doesn't. I don't think it looks like him or anything.
0: No, it doesn't. I guess it's supposed to be model after him. But. Yeah, but that took him like six months to do. Well, I, I think it. They kept doing rewrites, yeah. rewrites, rewrites of or re redos of it, and finally, um, yeah, finally they went for like a Belushi look. But three hundred thousand dollars for Slimer. It's great. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it is a lot of money. Um, yeah, the effects. I read one review that was
1: pretty interesting. It said the effects in this movie compliment the movie not the other way around exactly which yeah it, which it does and it's done really well i think it's a tribute to ivan reitman yeah um th- you never feel like bombarded with the effects and some of the effects look good so one effect i really like and i think about it a lot mm. um when i was living in you know when i was living in new york too especially right. is that shot from um i guess like central park area going down so you get like the whole city and then you see like the um the spirits uh kind of coming it's just one shot of yeah flowing like it's just like, basically like the skyline of New York more or less. Oh, right, yeah, and I know. it just holds it for like 20, 30 seconds yeah. and you're just seeing the streams of the spirits and there's like really cool music underplaying it. Yeah, it's it. the
0: magic song. It's Believe really good. In magic, magic. That song is under. Yeah, and yeah.
1: It, the, I, I like the ominous tone of it. Yep. I, it's just like, it really works for me. I'm like, this is how effects should be in the 80s. Like, use a lot of miniatures yep. and use stuff where you have a, a, like one shot Uh, I'm I'm using my hands a lot here. You can't see me, which is not helpful to all of the audience, but (laughs) use one like just static shot. Yeah. Because if you do that, then you you don't need to rely on, uh, when things move is when you get into trouble, like the dogs moving. Right. But you can have just like one, because there were cars in the background, stuff like that. But I think for that shot with the um, Skyline, they just used a picture and they overlay stuff over it. And that's how you do effects well in the 80s. Superman, 1978. Yeah. Uses effects brilliantly because they did all miniatures. Oh. and that works really well. They use miniatures in this movie too. If you notice, uh, when they're in Dana's building, when they have like a shot looking down in the building after it's kind of been destroyed by yeah. Closer yep. that's a miniature. Oh, okay, and yeah. it works really well. Um, but some of the digital stuff doesn't. Doesn't look as good. No,
0: no. I remember that scene freaked me out as a kid too. Or like with the ominous music and all the spirit shit. I was like, yeah. it was yeah. like creepy to me. It's really creepy. Yeah. And there's a
1: great, there's one effect that I think works really well because it's not really an effect. It's obviously makeup, but it looks great. Uh, and I think Bill Murray kind of steals a little bit with Scrooge, but in the cab. When the guy gets in the cab, he's like, "I'll I'll go into whatever." Go, I forget what he says. Yeah. Send me to whatever yeah. East Thirty Fourth Street. And the cab driver is like this cr- cr- yeah. scary skeleton man. And then um, in Scrooge, which Bill Murray later does, he, uh, the cab driver is yeah, a four ghost. Years later, that's right, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, but uh, which is a very underrated Christmas movie.
0: So the the score, like part of that scene, part of that scene is is because the score is so, or the music is so totally good. Totally agree. Music and the score are good. Yeah, yeah. both throughout this is is awesome. Um, so it was by uh, Elmer Bernstein. Did yep. you read about this guy? I, did,
1: I have. I have some of his work though, right?
0: Yep. Cape Fear, Great Escape, Animal House. He had like a, I don't know, 50-year career. Um, worked with uh, Reitman a few times. Age of Innocence was another one he did. He did like 150 yeah, scores. Yeah, he, he's done a lot. Oscar win, 14 noms, all that shit. But he said that this one was the hardest score he'd ever done. Why? Because he had to balance like the seriousness and the creepy with the comedic elements. And like he knew that he couldn't, he knew he couldn't do too cartoony. So even like their their the kind of piano theme song, like that yep. stuff. Just like signifying them and like going them going places. Um or boo 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 that yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like it's a little bit fun and playful, but he knew he couldn't go too comedic or it would just sort and of it ruin the mood. Sh- the third act, it you, you changes, uses all of that and yep. it becomes like a horror movie. Absolutely, uh, with,
1: the, with the score at least.
0: Yeah, um, he does a great job with strings and stuff. The other cool thing is he used. It was really the first time. This time period is the first uh, time that composers are starting to use synthesis a lot. So uh, we've talked about this book before uh, Vangelis and his like moody keyboards and shit. In fact, this will, this will go into the song that we're going to talk about next too. but moody keyboards in, in uh, blade runner. Yeah.
1: Th- this is all, this is real. Blade Runner came out 82, I think, right? So this yeah. Is a couple years before, a couple years after blade runner, but yeah, yeah. that same-, but same
0: time period right. where yeah. you've got these. So he used uh, three keyboards as Yamaha DX seven to create a lot of this like crazy tones. Um, and and some of the spooky stuff. Not the theremin sounding. Do you know what the theremin is? The theremin is like the... Like sort of whistly okay. kind of... not. It's a pitch, but it's not like a defined pitch type of spooky sound. Uh, that actually wasn't a theremin. I, I saw it say it's, it's a Andes Martinat, which is a type of keyboard. I don't know. But anyway, this is like the first time period where you're starting to see a lot of synthesis come into play in movies. And, and you can hear it throughout this piece, which is really neat. The spooky part to
1: this score remind me of one of my favorite horror movies, mm. Poltergeist.
0: Oh, yeah. Which I uh, think... Is
1: that Jerry Gold's? Smith, who did the score for that? He I'm completely going off memory here. Probably,
0: I can't remember who did wrong. that, but there is um, a connection between poltergeist oh, some I think some of the effects were done by um Edlin too for poltergeist. Something
1: I, like that. I like the effects in poltergeist way more. Although some of this stuff when they go into the uh Outer World isn't the best, but I don't remember.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, great was, movie, I've the seen way, all three see
1: guys. That's another recommendation. It, it is um, creepy. Check it out. It's incredible. It's, it's a PG horror movie.
0: I would probably say it's PG 13. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I grew up. Uh, but I also the didn't have Creature guy sink. That's, that's he's not in the first one. No, Damn, no. I don't remember. They're all blending together. Don't watch part two. Part two is
1: a little rough and not, not the best movie. I mean, uh, if you're really
0: bored, watch. I don't it, remember that carriage is really scary. He is scary. But Poltergeist
1: one is a good recommendation. Just the TV
0: then in the first one. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember all.
1: Um it's scary. It's good. It's really good. Uh do
0: you have anything else on Ghostbusters? Yeah, just so there's some controversy on uh the theme Song, of course, which is the Ghostbusters Ray Parker Jr do do, because he fucking stole that from Huey Lewis. That is a direct ripoff of I Want a New Drug. Hmm. It's the same. It's the. It is the same fucking thing. In fact, and I know it is because I want a new drug was used as a placeholder in the montage scene, um, like before they because it was the right tempo. Oh. Oh, really? So it was already and and Reitman was like, I want a, I want kind of a Huey. They tried to actually get Huey Lewis to do this, but he was already committed to. I think Back to the Future, so we couldn't do it. Okay, uh, and so his instructions were: we want like a Huey Lewis type of song. And of course, I mean, it's so. Similar nominated uh, for an Oscar. Nomin- uh Yes, that's right. It was to Stevie wonder. That's right. Yeah. To uh, I just called to say, I love you yeah. or something. Yep, no, right. Something right. like yep. that. Is that, one. is that yep. that one? Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw So he, it. See, they got sued, but it still became a number one hit. It was all over the place. Oh yeah. He, he paid, he paid out oh, some really? money. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no. They paid out some money. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Someone yeah, did. Yeah. He yeah. got his right. Yeah. I like Huey Lewis <laughs> the news. I love Huey Lewis the news and he's right. He's right in this case. And normally, I don't like this type of thing, like uh, the IP type of stuff. But but in this case, they tried to get, it was so clear. They tried to get him. It was using the montage, like all this shit. And if he he fucking just stole it. I saw he was at a
1: City Field in New York after a Mets game. They did a free concert after the game. Oh. It was one of the best promos I've ever ever had. It was yeah. a great. And he did a great job. It was they awesome. were a
0: great band. They played really well live. He, They're, they're awesome They're really good. They're yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like them.
1: And else on Ghostbusters? Your top five comedy. Top five. Also, let's do that. This next. is a big deal. This is like top I <laughs> five comedies. Now, I will say off the gun. I, I threw this I'm going to miss some. I threw this out to Matt yesterday. Yeah. It's I believe very strongly that genres are how you define them. So Matt may have something in the top five that I don't consider comedies. Okay. Doesn't mean they're not comedies. It just means that I don't consider them comedy, and Matt does. So if that happens, then we'll we'll say something.
0: And more. my preface is some of this is just kind of a gut reaction to me remembering how I felt when I, when I saw them. I don't actually know if some of these have, uh, some of these I haven't seen in like Ghostbuster. I hadn't seen in probably a decade. Yeah. So my top I'm five are it.
1: my five, how I feel right now.
0: This is how I feel right now, but I don't know. Okay. Okay. Do you want to start? I have an honorable mention. Okay. I, 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 st- I stayed with honorable <laughs> mention because This list was so hard to put together, <laughs> but go ahead. Jackass one. I laughed harder okay. on that film in the theater than I've ever laughed in any theater ever. Okay. Probably should have taken my advice and skip. <laughs> <skipped the honor laughs> right. right, right. Yeah. What's number five? Okay um Spaceballs.
1: Oh, all right, Mel Brooks. Okay. Yeah,
0: I love that film. Uh, Rick Moranis. Did Rick they're... Moranis, John Candy. I mean, I, I love that. Bill Pullman, I love that film. Love uh it. yeah, Rick uh,
1: Spaceballs is a, is a very funny movie. Dark Helmet. One of the, I'm not a huge fan of the um spoof movies. No, me neither. Um, Normally. But as far as they go like uh, you know, Naked Gun, I think is pro- in my opinion is the best of them
0: um that is a good one but, uh, but there's the oj factor i don't know if i can
1: it, it is weird it makes for a weird which i kind of i kind of like the odd factor <laughs> yeah. of it uh but Spaceballs has obviously done very well and has uh, you know john candy and rick moranis it's hard to hard to miss yeah there. it's a good one my uh, number five yep john candy movie as well planes trains automobiles
0: yeah that, i totally forgot that one and that's a great one um, damn it that probably it has, been. It
1: has a lot of heart to it um but it, you know steve martin and, and candy are hysterical i just think yep. it's really funny I love when Martin has his breakdown in the rental car agency. Like <laughs> I've been there before. He's just like lose your shit and completely meltdown. Um, just a great movie. Hopefully, you know we do encounter that week. Also, *Planes, and Automobiles* the best Thanksgiving movie ever.
0: Yeah, probably. Which number four? <sighs> oh, I'm gonna get such fucking destroyed yep, for it. Th- uh, super bad.
1: Uh, it's no, it's fine. It's fine. It's a, right. it's not, it's not my, on my list, but it, it's a it's a good comedy. It's really I didn't funny. see
0: that in the theater. I saw that at home and I laughed like a. Motherfucker okay. When I saw it, yeah. saw yeah.
1: in theater. It's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's Apatow, um, you know, I think it's a lot, one of the last times Apatow is fearless. Yeah. Uh, after he makes funny people and after kind of we get more PC as a culture, he kind of loses his fastball. He does. I think he's kind of like, and then he kind of goes full PC. Like he was one of the showrunners on Girls. Oh, really? Which is incredibly like, he, he kind of leaned in that direction. Maybe it's yeah. a smart way, like Howard Stern. Maybe that's a smart way to go. Just go that way because that's the way gonna do it. I guess that if
0: you want to make money, I guess if yeah, that's mean, goal, you want to stay to relevant
1: and be, have a right. career, yeah, I think you have to go that way.
0: Yeah. Um, your number four,
1: so my number four is the most controversial on this list. Um, it's a movie a lot of you maybe haven't even heard of. It's called "Observe and Report." Um, it's with Seth Rogen. He plays a mall cop. It is. Um, I thought
0: that sucked. I see. You I, really liked it. I love it. Um, so he's pe- on a Segway going through the mall. What's it now? So he's on a Segway going through the mall.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, but it's, if you watch it, I so I've watched me I don't know maybe thirty times. I'm it's, I'm obsessed with with the tone of it. It's I guess it's supposed to be how it feels to be like bipolar. You have his incredible ups, incredible downs. Yeah. There's also some disattachment to reality. Yeah. Um, it I think I love the Wayside. So I have a lot of friends who have seen it. My friends either love it or hate it. David Letterman famously loved it. Mm. Um, a lot of people I know absolutely hate it. I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's worth it's not an incredibly long movie. It's incredibly bizarre. It's not like a Seth Rogan goofball comedy. No, it's not. It's very dark. Um, but check that out.
0: Seems like I don't feel so bad about uh, Jackass One anymore. Okay, uh, you, you
1: shouldn't use you should, Report At least has some acclaim among some circles. Jackass One is a goofy funniest Jackass shit.
0: movie. Okay, oh, I laugh so hard. Uh, three, Tropic Thunder. Oh, all right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Love yeah. that film. Yeah.
1: Uh, you're very funny. Very sharp. Uh, I probably Ben Stiller's funniest. Movie? I would
0: say so. Yep. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. As a director.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I personally think there's something about Mary is funnier. Um, I do not even though I do like something about Mary. It's
1: good. Yeah, I mean it, you know, but Tribe under I, Robert Downey Jr. probably the last time we see him be fearless too. He's doing a like Dr. Doolittle now and this fucking yeah, you know, the Marvel stupid. movies and everything. Yeah. But uh but that was probably the last time he
0: kind of cuz Robert Downey Jr. one time was a great actor. He was. But uh, I mean he's still he's still a good actor. It's not that he's just not uh, choosing. He's just not choosing good films. I don't, I don't know if he's
1: good actor. When's the last time he, was a, he act like I?
0: Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. He did that road trip uh, one with uh, between the Fer- two ferns guy one. That wasn't that. Did the, he? The, he Like did a bit ba- yeah, yeah, his no. baby was being born, so that wasn't very good. You're right.
1: Um, he was great in that though. Number three is Ghostbusters for me. What's your number two? Yeah, fuck.
0: Uh, Big Lebowski.
1: Oh, you see, I don't like this. I, I, I know I'm in the minority. Big Lebowski, huge. You know, you don't call players. that a comedy. I do. I yeah. don't think it's funny. I don't think, think it's a good fun. movie. I've,
0: I don't like it. The first time I saw it, I didn't know what to think. I've I, saw, been, the I, was, I, I saw, saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. I probably saw, I've probably seen it 10 times after that, and every time I've seen it, it's made me laugh more. I've I seen it a couple
1: amazing. of times after, I keep wanting to like it. Because I'm like, oh, I should like this. You know, it has Jeff Bridges, it has the Coen brothers. Right. Everyone I know... Who I respect, their movie opinion likes this movie. Yeah, I love this film. So I'm like, oh, I, I got, I'm missing something. It just doesn't hit for me. And uh, it's just not for me. That's okay.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know what it for? is. I think the
1: character annoys me, the, the laziness potentially. Oh, yeah. I probably. don't find it like charming. I just find it like irritating. Yeah. And um, I just don't understand the motivations of a, of a lot of the characters. Like, why is the Jesus character like that? Like, I don't, I don't, I like the other characters. I just don't, I don't understand like why they're behaving the way they are. It doesn't, doesn't ring for me.
0: Okay. Um, What's your number uh, two? Office Space. Yes, did not make my list, but Office Space is good.
1: I, I think this movie is just, uh, I think it's Mike Judge, who's who's great. Um, and, and I, I, I've worked in offices for a good, but I saw this movie before I did. I saw, this movie came out when I was in this lost period. So you um, had
0: uh, flashbacks then when you finally did go I into an I did, office. And, yeah. it, and it made it like <laughs> yeah. funnier even. Right. But
1: yeah, I watched this movie. I was in this like lost period in the late 90s where I wasn't uh, in school or really having a real job. I was yeah. just kind of like just floating
0: around. And um, I it loved it. still resonated it. with you then?
1: It did. Yeah. And then, um, and, and since then, I've, I, I think it has a great I love the gangster
0: rap scene where they're smashing the crap out of the computer. It's that's so great.
1: I, I love all of the. I love the consultants. Yeah, they're just like <laughs> complete. They're total assholes. They're just yeah. jerks. They're so cruel. Um, and I just love the idea. And now, in fact, it even is now. Where now I'm kind of at a crossroads with my job. Like, what you know, I'm on furlough right now. Um, uh, so it's like, what do I want to do? Where, where do I want to go? And I kind of like i I feel like Peter a little bit. Like bringing a just like going fishing like maybe this is the way life you know i'm kind of like trying to figure out like where i'm at i feel a lot like 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 uh peter in that movie so,
0: okay yeah yeah morally bankrupts like uh like peter in that movie he's not he's not
1: morally bankrupt <laughs>
0: well they do uh try to steal a shit ton of okay money i would me. never steal anything <laughs> no.
1: but i mean just psychologically
0: like what, yeah, yeah, what yeah.
1: why are we doing these jobs like what what you know where are we why are we doing Absolutely. these things which yeah. is a great kind
0: of an interesting way to kind of look at things Ghostbusters is one for me. Oh my god, this is your favorite comedy ever! I, I can't think of anything better. I laughed the entire way through this film. Bill Murray is so fucking good. I can't. I, can't, I mean, I can't. You know, once you hit this tech top three, you can't really. There's yeah, no wrong answer. What do you do? Uh,
1: I yeah, Ghostbusters is great. My number
0: one, Groundhog Day. That's a really good one too, and probably should have cracked my top five. And it's
1: my number one. It's been my number one for a long time. Um, it's okay. a great film, and uh, I think it's and I think it's Bill Murray at his best. Yeah, as we're referring to earlier. Do you
0: think it, he was better in Groundhog Day? Yeah, what, I think
1: I think Groundhog Day. Should have been nominated, potentially winning Oscars. I think Bill Murray sh-
0: definitely should have been nominated. Like, yeah. that,
1: there's a horrible comedy bias that the Oscars. And are a absolute, lot of I was thinking have. the
0: exact same thing because I was trying to see who won um, Academy Awards for uh, 1985 after Go- you know Ghostbusters came out, right? For 84, like the, it was yeah, yeah, there wasn't anything that was that really even stood like. Out
1: to me. There's just like a real bias towards science fiction uh, to some extent, and especially to comedy among yep. awards, and, and it's a shame because, like, you know. Just because something's funny doesn't mean it's, it's bad. or you know It's just as hard to make a good comedy as it is to make a, a good drama. Um, the fact that they are so biased toward, you know, and Groundhog Day has a lot of great dramatic elements. Um, I didn't include any Royal, I didn't include like Royal Tender Moms. No, I most. didn't
0: either and I, I, on purpose. Me too. Uh, like,
1: I consider Royal Tender Moms to be a drama.
0: Absolutely. Um, and even um, uh, Rushmore too, I didn't. Me so, too. Yeah.
1: But, you know, if you do consider those to be comedies, then those are both Royal Tender Moms would certainly be my top five.
0: Yeah. So we'll have to tell people, we'll, we'll put these out there and see if anybody disagrees with it. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree. Yeah, tweet it. Except us. for Jackass, they'll be on my side for that yes. one. <laughs> very dumb.
1: Uh, yeah, tweet it us, come at us with, with any, with your top five comedies because uh, we'll be, you know, maybe it's something I haven't seen. I'll check it out. Right. Shall we move on to the song? We should. I'm excited about this one. Uh,
0: yeah, so this is Dancing in the Dark, uh, in the dark, sorry. Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. Um, and this is the best song that we've done so far. I love the song. I Fucking love this song. And I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan, actually. In fact, I think probably most Bruce aficionados will probably, like, hate the fact that... That this is your... Yeah, I would say this might... This might be my favorite Bruce song. Uh, this and I'm on Fire, I think, are are my top two. I also love 10th Avenue Fru- Avenue Freeze Out. Uh, maybe my top three, I would say. so. And, this- and they're the poppy ones.
1: Yeah. yeah. So this isn't my... Um, so I like this song i don't like bruce springsteen's version
0: that's um, right yeah i forgot that yeah i a
1: cover by uh somebody named lucy ducas who does a great job in fact matt did a cover which i'm going to tell him right now and yep. i haven't we haven't talked about so i
0: think you i'll should, send it out this week or do that or just put it at the end of this podcast um i don't since we don't have rights to it i don't okay. want to Okay, yeah well yeah, then put it out we so can. Hear. i will definitely put but it out i think then. it's really good i think I, I like your
1: cover better than the bruce version i just think it's kind of corny with some of the keyboard stuff but my favorite oh, song just real quick
0: stuff. Is it I love the keyboards
1: uh my favorite song on this album is uh on this album is I'm going down
0: that's a good song too uh but it's not I lo- I just love the feel the feel of I'm on fire and uh and dancing in the dark is different than the feel of his other songs it's like he's it's more guitar that those most of his songs are more guitar driven either acoustic or electric and you got like the horn sack or, or at least the um saxophone player ha- uh is playing you know through there when you don't you don't really get that in no in these songs. They're they're sort of a departure from him, which is why I think I like it so much. Also has a darker feel, even though this song is do you know did you see that this song I tweeted this out, but the song uh Dancing in the dark was was made into a like a fucking dance tune. Uh, oh, I saw that in yeah, like I 85 did. or something. And it's so uh, bad. I tweeted it out early. I'll tweet it out again uh, this week, but it is so bad, but it, it was like the first time that one of his songs was yeah, turned into a dance song. I had song no
1: recollection of that. It charted.
0: It, I again. it went to like one on the dance charts. I didn't have any recollection either. It's so bad with like the cheesy drums that they had at that time, the tre- cheesy synth drums and shit. It's really bad, but, but it is more of that type of song. It's a, it's, it, it has a, it has a very, you know, of like a, of, um, a, definitely a more danceable beat kind of like very straight ahead song which is, it's a little bit different than than his other more rock songs now, I guess or even like his more acoustic songs like Nebraska okay I would say it's like it's just a departure from him someone
1: I know is a huge Bruce fan yeah uh, that I worked with a few years ago so there's two kind of people in the world people that love Bruce or people that hate Bruce. Yeah. And I said, I'm not either. Me neither. I kind of like Bruce. Are you in the same camp on this? I I
0: think there are 10 of his songs. I would say 10 of his songs that I really like. And then the rest of them, I could just sort of take or leave. I'm I'm in the same exact boat. And I I realize like he's good. I mean, he's he's
1: expressive. He's a great. I can see why like Kirk Manahan, for instance, really likes him because Kirk loves to read books. Yeah. And um, Bruce, I think, writes great lyrics. He does. I don't love something. There's something about. The majority, but I mean to say, you love ten songs. Somebody that's pretty good. That's still pretty good. I probably consider myself, on some level, a very mild Springsteen fan. Very mild.
0: I would say, like of the so, if I had a top one hundred eighty songs, I would probably put five of them in five of his songs in my top hundred. I would say so. That that's pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Dancing in the Dark came from, um, uh, came off the album Born in the USA. Right. And Born in the USA was written over the course of a several years. Actually, Nebraska the same. So Nebraska was the album before this. Yep. And he was right. He wrote like 80 songs in like two or three years, trying to get the next album done and just couldn't settle on, just couldn't settle on them. Um and so he ended up releasing, I think, maybe eight or ten of them as Nebraska, which were just these four-track recordings, just these very simple recordings. And if you listen to them, if you know that album, it's 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 a lot more subdued. The full band's not there for most of it. I don't even think there's drums at all on the album, if I remember correctly. Maybe there is. But it's so – it's like under-orchestrated, very raw, and a lot of people like it. Um, so we put that out. But then, you know, he was getting some pressure from the record company and producers and stuff like, listen, we need to do it. So, so they – Took his best, put them together, and made, uh, and made Born in the USA, which which became his top selling album, uh, sold thirty million records as of like a couple years ago. At the time, he sold, uh, I think up until, I don't know, in the first couple years, he sold ten, twelve. This million. album it was huge. this crazy. I mean, we were both huge. little kids when this we came out. We were little, and kids.
1: we probably, I don't know about you, I remember
0: this. Yeah, I remember album. it, and I remember this. I remember, most this, of the I remember songs. this video. It had seven fucking t- uh, number one hits. It, on was fucking album. It, was it was huge. It was huge. It was yeah. Uh, this, so Dancing in the Dark is a single sold 1 million copies on its own.
1: I saw that. It's crazy.
0: And did you know it was the last song that, they, that he put on the album? Oh, I didn't know. So that, his no. producer says, Bruce, we need a hit. We yes. need a hit. I like, yeah. didn't realize that six other of the songs are going to be a <laughs> right. fucking hit off this album. Right. Bruce, we need a hit. And, yeah. he, and Bruce got angry. And he was like, fuck you. I wrote 80 songs, buddy. Like, you write a fucking song. But then he like cooled down, went back to his hotel room and wrote Dancing in the Dark that night and came in the next day and they and they started recording it and got it done. So it was the last one to add. And if you listen to it, it's a really dark song. He's talking about yeah. isolation. I didn't really understand the song until we I mean I always liked it, but I just didn't give it that much thought until we were going to do it for this episode and then I started looking into it and then I learned it and did the cover and all that stuff and it's so dark. It's about isolation, it's about loss of creativity. He's thinking about I have to write this hit. I got to do a, you know, a good follow-up album to my last ones. And and he's all alone. You can't start a fire without a spark. That's his creative spark. Like you know, you're a writer. I'm a writer. I have a hard time getting myself going sometimes. If I'm feeling, really yeah, you know, you course. get burned out, yeah. or you can't force the creativity. Yeah. You can try to put yourself in position to make it happen, but it's if it doesn't come, it doesn't come. And that's what he's talking about. Like the loneliness that that it is to be the creative force of of his band of his, you know of. Um, of his the the machine his record machine basically. it sounds like a
1: guy too that is having a hard time like I don't say connecting but having a hard time like because he says I want to change my clothes my hair yeah, my face right. like he's having a hard time like maybe i do not not finding his place in the world but kind of figuring out kind of how the world maybe should embrace him it, it's a it's a very complicated I say once again. it's, Springs the lyricist is is brilliant.
0: He is really good. And and
1: it is, it's very dark and somber.
0: And he also like, so this one really put him over the edge into pop superstardom, but he was still really successful before this. He'd sold a lot of albums and you know, I had a lot of money and he's kind of the working class icon, but now he's rich. And so he's trying, he's also facing that too. Like who, what is my identity now that I, you know, now I'm writing pop songs. This is not why I got into this in the first place. I wanted to express myself and to talk about these things that matter to me. But now I'm this pop icon and I got to write this fucking hit. It's, you know, and it's all expressed in this beautiful song to me. And the beauty of this song is it's goddamn simplicity. Um, I've, I've railed on a lot of songs that we've done before saying how bland and vanilla and uninspiring they are. And a lot of times it's because they don't do anything that's interesting at all. Like it, it's just they, they do the same kind of formula over and over and over and over. And this song, Dancing in the Dark could have been that. It could have been a formulaic song. And that's actually why I have a problem with some of Bruce's other songs is because I think they are kind of formulaic. He's not, he's just not really, he's, he's staying with the basic chord structures. He's not doing things that are so far out. Okay. But this is a, and Dancing in the Dark could have been that too. And I've grabbed my guitar. Matt has his guitar. So and you guys can probably hear that. But music, um, I'm just going to give you like a little bit of a, a, kind of a background on this music in general. Western music is—it's very simple in nature. It's about tension and release. It's about creating some tension, tension, and and then coming back to home. And so, home for uh, for Western ears is is the one chord in a in in a uh, you know in a in a song. The one chord. The tension in Western music is the five chord. That makes you really want to go back to one. That's basically it. It's that interplay. And over time, um, like sort of our harmonic, that, that started in Baroque period, like 15, 1600s. That's kind of where our tonality comes from. Our ears come from. Um, as far as I know, that's what my music history teachers told me anyway. But, but uh, I believe you. I uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but over time, like chord structures have expanded harmonic. So you get bored with that and you want more and more and more, but still, blues, which which rock comes from, is based on with just one difference, and that's the four card. One, four, five, which is every Who song. Every Who (laughs) song, right? That's all this is. This is one, four, five. This is basic. Dancing in the Dark is basic rock structure with one small difference. All he does is he, he, he adds in a small little flavor in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the verse. He just goes to this before he goes to the four chord. That's it. He adds in this little six chord in between. And that's the only difference, but it makes such a tonality difference to my ears that it makes it exciting for me. That's the one difference that he makes. So he turns it from being a very like structured, very easy pop song to something that is so much harmonically more to my ears than that. And that's the subtle brilliance of the song. Can you
1: play a quick 10 second of a normal song and 10 second of of, Dancing in the Dark?
0: And then. That's that's Dancing in the Dark. That's the one with the six. Whereas a blue. where it would just go. if, if, If he didn't do it, it would just be that's it. It would just go from that G chord to that C chord. It'd be the one chord to the four chord, but because he puts that that extra little minor chord in there between that, it just, like I said, it just makes the a huge harmonic difference. Does that sort of make sense to you? Can you hear the, the interplay between the Kind of. The I probably don't hear it as... That's the difference, as opposed to just going between that G and the C.
1: For me, I have not. I've not and you can hear it in the bass. I don't have like a trained ear of music or anything like that, but it just sounds more like, complicated. Like you know, like what? Like I can see how, if, like if you,
0: for you, yeah, you it can, makes you a you big can difference. Determine yeah. where
1: the complication is exactly.
0: It would be so like if it was if he didn't do that, it would just it would be like every other. It wouldn't. It would be like any other. It would be a Who tune It would. It wouldn't be anything different or yeah. special. But he just, and that's all it is for me. Like if you just. Just like make one, it, one subtle difference can make the whole song bearable for me or, or brilliant to me. And that is, that was, that's the brilliance of the song is, is having that little minor thing in between going between the one, the one chord and the four chord.
1: It's interesting. For me, the brilliance of the song mm-hmm. for me is the lyrics. Yeah, the lyrics so are good too. It just shows you how if you match what you're talking about with what I'm talking about, maybe that is how you have like great art.
0: Well, and the other thing too is, so he, this is, we were talking about synthesis, uh, really the first time in music where you're starting to see a lot of synthesis yeah. happening. And Bruce Springsteen is not known. I mean, he'll use like an organ or a Rhodes or something in some of his old, older songs, but never, th- this is, this is a, uh, I think it's actually he's using a Prophet, which is a type of synthesizer that was popular. Then Prophet is really famous on rush tunes. Like the Tom Sawyer is okay. a Prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the whole song, the bass, and a boop 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 boop, boop, boop do. That is all the keyboard. That's it. There's the only guitar that you hear in the song is when he changes chords. He he like it down. He like does a strum there. But that's it. Even the bass is boom 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 boom. That's the keyboard too. The whole thing is the keyboard except for just you know the drums and, and a little bit of that guitar here and there. Hmm. It's 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 a really it's a departure for him. That's 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 why I like it so much. It's like so uncharacteristic for him.
1: I have to listen to it again the way home to see if I can hear the chord things you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, you'll hear it. Sometimes they'll do it in the bass. They'll follow it. it'll it'll go from the one to the. It's actually the sixth chord that he bounces between. But don't worry about that. So you'll hear it in the bass. You'll hear the bass change, and it'll do it and bounce around. But that's the flavor. Huh? Yeah. Um, Should we talk the
1: video Courtney Cox? Of I, course. Oh yeah, yeah. Famously, twenty year old um, Courtney Cox. You know, this is the first time you saw her, and then she ended up having obviously she was remember from that she went to Family Ties where she was Alex oh, yeah. girlfriend that. for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then she uh, kind of just did, you know, stuff here and there, and then she goes and does Friends, becomes like a, a major... Huge you know, star. ...superstar. She's worth hundreds of, billions of, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, yeah, I, but the first time you saw her was when Bruce pulls her up, which I guess Bruce didn't know which one he's supposed to pull up, but I guess they had her strategically placed. But that plan, she'd already... He didn't know? It sounds like he didn't... I, I, it sounds like they had her in the spot that he would pull her up, but I think in Bruce's mind, he wanted to just pull up someone random, so maybe he kind of... Uh. So they kind of... Uh, Gave him the yeah. this idea, that, and then um, but she knew what she was gonna do. She was already a
0: soap opera actress at that. Oh, point. okay, yeah. So she had kind of had instructions what to do. Do you think she knew what the dance was before she went up I'm there? Sure. Yeah, she I'm did. sure. Um, <laughs> sort of, swing but maybe arms. Bruce didn't know what she was gonna do.
1: Oh, right, I'm so, sure. So to keep that spontaneity, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the first time you saw Courtney Cox.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, she had a little pixie haircut and uh, danced her little moves. Yes. So there you go. That's Bruce. That's Dancing in the Dark. Love it. Yes, good song. I, the best one we've done so far, I think so for me. I, I,
1: I, I we haven't done any good ones, so no. it's hard for me to. No, like, that's I, the thing. I could it's, be forgetting one, but that might be the
0: best. This week is great for me. I've got all three songs I'm into.
1: All of yeah, them. Yeah. What do we have? Uh, what's the next movie we're doing? It's uh, Gremlins. It I mean, is Gremlins. On. That'll and, be on yeah. Saturday. And then, um, uh, who even knows?
0: I forget what the song is, but
1: Gremlins. Uh, so yeah, it's, on Saturday's episode, you'll hear us talk about Gremlins, which is another movie
0: we've. Time watched. after time is a song actually, oh, which is so after great. Time that song's amazing. <laughs>
1: Uh, so a great song and a great movie uh, on Saturday but let's talk personal stories we, don't, we were both were very little yeah, here. so yeah, where yeah. were you at I was in
0: North Andover in first grade in at this time in Massachusetts yeah in I was uh, actually I was living at my grandparents house with my mom and my sister and going to North Andover schools which I was there until through third grade before I moved to Hooksett New Hampshire in fourth grade but you were at this point in Massachusetts I was in Massachusetts yeah okay do you yeah. remember
1: what your favorite TV show was then
0: I have no idea no, no. you were little right were you five I was or six, six I think yeah Eighty four, I was six. Uh no, I wasn't I wasn't six yet. No, I was five. You were five, okay. I had no, so I'm I'm fucking lying to you. I wasn't in first grade yet. I was about to a couple couple months after I would be in first I was right, in first grade this is so June. summertime, right. right. So it was right before I went to I went to my like my first year of school. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was doing. And then we got we have headlines too. We do have headlines. I have some headlines for us. Okay, yeah. Let's hit
1: it. Um so this this is an interesting story. I've never knew this story before, but I think it's fascinating. This horse was named was Swale. S-W-A-L-E. Oh, Swale? I could be, maybe Swale-y. I could be pronouncing it wrong. I'm oh. sorry. I was reading this off of the, uh, the New York Times headline, so I, could, I just- They don't give
0: a little pronunciation they guide. They didn't know.
1: No. Pra- pra- everyone in time probably knew how to say his name. A horse who won the Kentucky Derby a month ago and the Belmont Stakes nine days ago dropped dead on June 17th. Didn't you kill a horse for me last headline, Stu? Jesus Christ. So no one knew why at the time. And some people suspected foul play. Like, oh my god, what's going on with this horse? Yeah, ends up the horse had a heart abnormality, and uh, it, was, it was it just it just dropped mm. dead. No one no one had known it, but uh, at the time though, there was some intrigue. Like, oh my god, did someone poison this the, horse? Right. What's yeah. going on? So that kind of was the the beginning of the week. That was like the big news of the beginning of the week. Um, on June nineteenth, the MPAA announced the board was voting on a new rating for movies called PG thirteen. Oh. A big reason uh, for this was uh, MPAA was, didn't know what to do with Gremlins and with Temple of Doom. Both right. the, both movies talking about this week. Jesus Christ. Yeah, someone and, gets their heart ripped off. And, and uh, like to make Temple that PG, but it's not really an R. No. So like, and seeing Gremlins, I know when they put the Gremlin in the microwave. Oh, right. That was the one scene where people in MPAA were like, this is an R. And people were like, no, it's not. Like So like, there was yeah. a big, so they didn't know what to do. So... They had uh basically set up a vote for uh, next month, which would be July of eighty four, to vote on P G thirteen, which we all know, of course, passed. Right. Um so interesting. There. Do
0: people even pay attention to that stuff anymore? Can you go to a theater at PG thirteen as a eleven year old and get into the movie? Yeah, or it's parental guidance suggested. Oh, okay. All In right. theory
1: you can. Um, but it kind of leaves because parents. I think it's more just the parents have a guideline yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. right, you know, should should I bring my kids to see this? Right. Um, parents were a little bit um I think it was more driven by the MPAA. But parents had kind of, I know Poltergeist was another one that came out, I think a year earlier. Was that a PG movie? PG. Jeez. And people were just like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> okay. But it's funny because Jaws is PG. I think people get more and more sensitive, which is funny. You think it would go the other way around. People you think so? More like you've got to like, you know, hide our kids and stuff. I don't know. I'm also not a fan of ratings. I think art no, is art. Like, why are you hiding stuff in your kids? Right. But I also don't have, you know, people who hear that probably, well, we don't have kids, Chris, shut the fuck up.
0: So I will. No, but there could be reviews. Like, people could just say, hey, look, I saw this film, might not be. Or the it's best just make or
1: believe, explain to your kids fucking. But all right, I'm not. Yeah. I know, p- parents yelling right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> coverage on Walter Mondale and the DNC convention were almost daily because this is an election year. Oh, of course. Uh, articles about Mario Cuomo being the keynote speaker. We're right next to articles saying how economic growth was huge. So, like, <laughs> the Democrats had no shot in this election um, because economy was just banging. It. At this moment in time, right. Reagan. economy was just going crazy, especially 84. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so you'd have articles like, oh, we got Mario Cuomo, yay! And be like, well, the economy's just out of control, hot right now. And then Mondale, of course, got, got squashed. Destroyed. Um, so Paul Dano was born this week.
0: Paul Dano, yeah, the actor from um, uh, "There Will Be Blood" yeah. and some other films. And
1: I think you could make a case that Paul Dano is the second best actor, never nominated for an Oscar. Okay, behind Jim Carrey. Um, that's my opinion. There are some other names out there, but um, so if you want to have a little debate with me about that, uh, feel free to tweet at me. But what has he up, been
0: in? So I, I, I remember the he's in a little Miss bo- Sunshine. That's right. Um, he's been in a few. Other,
1: uh, yeah, he's good. Uh, he's in a movie called Prisoners, which he shouldn't have been nominated for, but he's. Very creepy. In mm. uh, he's going to be the Riddler in the new Batman when, oh, if Adam they ever that. get around to making those. Right. But um, but I think Paul Dano is really good. Uh, and uh, June Carey, though, in my opinion, the best actor never nominated because
0: of actor. Eternal Sunshine
1: uh, and Truman Show and Truman Show and, uh, in my opinion, Man in the Moon. Yeah. And if there wasn't a stupid fucking comedy bias, you can make a case for dumb and dumb like so like, <laughs> yeah. The, like yeah, yeah, know, yeah like you know like yeah. It just, you have the greatest year ever for an actor in 94. And the guy, walk, you know, and I get it. They're dumb comedies. I get it. But in some level, like we talked about like, Liar Liar. Yeah, yeah. Like I think Liar Liar is a pretty dumb movie. We talked about it on the um, YouTube show. Right. But y- you still have to some way like honor this guy for the work he did. It's, he, it was an amazing performance. Isn't you, that kind of yeah. what we're doing here with the actor nomination? Or
0: at least do amazing performance in a comedy if you need to split Why it Why do it we need to do that? Why well, do you we need just to split no, it? I, like I'm with you. It but really that, pisses me off. But, there um, is no split. There is no Oscar for that, Right. Uh, there's a Golden Globe, they do
1: a musical. Or a comedy. I don't even know what
0: the, what's the different. What's the Golden Glo- Globe versus? I do-
1: well, Golden Globe is voted for by the Hollywood foreign press. Okay, they're kind of
0: star fuckers. Yeah. So,
1: they'll, so Jim Carrey has won Golden Globes. Yeah. They like celebrities, uh, but the Oscars are uh, basically it's almost like their own. It's almost like movie show business voting for themselves. Yeah. Like the student body, if you will. I gotcha. Um, uh, yeah, it's an issue I have. I mean, comedy bias in films is a real problem. Sure, if you listen to this podcast more and more, it'll come up more and more. Yeah. Um, it makes me upset because it's not really fair. I think Ghostbusters is, is in my opinion a work of art. Absolutely. Just because it has jokes and it doesn't make it any less so. Um, but that's my uh, headlines. Okay. Anything else? I think that wraps us it up in this little so, But 1984 for two weeks. Oh, it's good. And we have, next week we have uh, Time After Time is the
0: song and it's Gremlins
1: Saturday. is the movie on Saturday rather. Yeah. And then a week later we got even more 84.
0: It's, it's a good year and it's a good couple weeks. I'm glad us.
1: we have this for back-to-back weeks and not
0: Some other shitty year, like two
1: thousand six or something.
0: Yeah, Yeah. all right, cool. Thanks for listening.